Welcome to the We Do Marketing Hour podcast. I'm your host, Alex Valencia. And our goal here is to help you grow your business and your life in the next 60 minutes. In each episode, we bring on experts in their respective fields and have in-depth life discussions that offer you the tools that you need to create cutting-edge strategies that you can implement in your business or in your life and make you a better human being. Today, we have the opportunity to have my friend Jay Henderson on the show, who's going to be talking about the secrets to law firm hiring and team success. If you've ever met Jay at one of the conferences or have hired him to help you build your team, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jay's going to dive deep into hiring, what you need to look for, hiring slow and firing quickly. Join us today on the We Do Marketing Hour. But thank you again, man. It's I can't believe it's over. This month is gone. Today, just a couple more days to the end of the month, and we're ready to rock and roll. And I am super stoked, man. I couldn't start the new year without having my friend. I mean, seriously, you are a friend. I couldn't wait. You know, Jay and I have known each other for over a decade. Um, We've had amazing talks, both as colleagues and on a personal, political, spiritual level. Like he's who I go to very often and I couldn't wait to share him in the new year with you, with everything that he's done for other companies, for other law firms, coaching, um, just helping people hire the right people. So we're going to learn a ton of information. So let me just give him the awesome intro that he deserves. So let me welcome my friend and colleague, Jay Henderson, who is a performance and leadership expert speaker and the author of the ultimate guide to hiring superstars that's exactly what everybody on here wants right we all want to hire superstars in any small business he is the also the creator of the five shifts five shifts to greater profits a proven method that accelerates any business result you seek jay's one of the most sought after leadership performance consultants and hiring experts in the country regularly well last two years ago regularly speaking at uh <laughs> live conferences sure. and now vir- virtual conferences so we're very lucky to have him um different conventions for business leaders all over the country this is the most impressive training under stephen covey at an early early age in his career after his father giving him a book and we'll learn more about that story a little further because yeah. i'm gonna dive deep into it you got to know the psychology behind of why Jay does what he does. Um, so training under Steve Covey for years and helping develop the seven habits of highly effective athletes with Wayne Carpenter, right? Was that with Wayne or with yeah. Steve? Um, well, also working with Wayne another, Carpenter. Another yeah, Wayne Carpenter. There's another guy too? <laughs> well, I'll tell you more maybe later. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Wayne Carpenter was a, a leadership trailblazer, um, you know, the genius who re- redesigned and refined refined computerized human performance system that measures how people think and make decisions um and most importantly one of the most objective and um ones currently around so please welcome with a virtual hand for our friend jay henderson who is here to be with us all right jeff jay um thank you just tell us a little bit about you and then we'll then we'll jump in and we'll leave some time for everyone at the end to ask some questions because I know you're going to have a ton of questions. And I think Jay's going to be giving away three awesome products too. So we're super stoked. Yeah. 
hey, I'm impressed with uh, those things. I didn't give you all that stuff. So, <laughs> I had to go good, in looking for it. Like, good job, man, uh, on all that stuff that you had to say. And, and that part about, yeah, yeah, well, thank you. But there's a guy, um, my boss at Covey, his name was um, Dick Roth. And Dick won a silver medal in the 1964 Olympics. Wow. This is obviously going back. Yeah, swim, he was a swimmer. And uh, he and I were, he, we, we found each other both really into sports psychology. And so we started to create with Stephen's, uh, Stephen Covey's uh, permission, the seven habits of highly effective athletes. Uh, and that was really a fun venture. But I, I moved on before and Dick, he moved also and I moved. Uh, and so anyway, there's more behind that story. So um, yeah, but what do you wanna know? Sure. I want all the details. <laughs> who you are, what got you into the business. I want to hear the story yeah. about quick story about how your dad got you involved, your first Steve Kobe book. And then, uh, you know, I'll jump in with some questions, but just tell me a little bit about you and tell the audience about you, why you do so what my, you do. Right on. Thank you. So my dad was a radio personality in Detroit for 25 years. Uh, he was uh, what we, I guess, know as a disc jockey, right? Um, and he happened to be invited and, re and asked to MC, like he used to MC bands in Detroit. Like I mean, Alice Cooper, Chicago, uh, everybody you can imagine from the '70s rock and roll period. He MC'd all those people, and we got uh, we got to go into all those concerts. It was a blast. But he was also asked one time to MC Stephen R. Covey at a big speech that he was doing. So my dad met Stephen, and then um, you know he sent me the book, the audio tapes to the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I devoured. Uh, really was into, just loved it. And then um, one day he and I, a few years later, were, we were walking through this place called the Jacksonville Landing in Jacksonville, Florida. We were walking through there together. It's like a mall, an outdoor sort of mall, and um, right on the, uh, the river there. And uh, he, we were walking by a bookstore. He looked in the bookstore and he saw this book that said Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So he, he said, hey, check it out. And he grabbed a couple of them and he gave me a copy, of course. And uh, and so um, I read that book till it was tattered and torn. I just, for some reason, it really resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. I liked reading it. And um, uh, so then, um, I don't know, it was maybe a year later, I decided to uh, go to work for Stephen Covey. And, uh, um, you know, you, we have these moments in life that are kind of cathartic. And I was in my bedroom and I, um, I was in a big transition in my life. I had already moved out. I had already lived on my own, but I was home for a short time. And then uh, um, I had this really strong sort of like epiphany experience. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but I walked up to my dad that night. I said, hey, uh, I know what I'm going to do. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go to work for Stephen Covey. And he said, well, then Stephen Covey, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I am today. And um, at that back in that time. And uh, my dad said, um, well, when are you going to leave? And I, when are you going to go? And I said, tomorrow morning. And Covey was in Utah. Right. So that night I packed up my stuff. I packed up my car. I jumped in the car. I drove across the country. I knew one girl that lived there. I called her from a pay phone. This is a while ago. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I called her and, uh, and she said, Hey, just when you get to town, let me know. And, and I got a place to stay. And, Three months later, I was working at the Covey Leadership Center. And uh, the growth trajectory of Covey at the time was like insane. I mean, it became the number one training company in the world at one time. And Covey's book, Seven Habits, sold like 
eventually like 75 million copies in right. something like 40 languages around the world. So, so that's how I ended up there. And um, that was a great experience and an amazing opportunity to cut my teeth with major corporate clients around the country and, and to learn a lot, learned a lot. So that's how that happened. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Just real quick on that story, because you, you missed the best part. And when I read <laughs> this was, you drove to Utah, showed up, you happened to have a suit, walked into Kobe's office oh. and said, yeah. um, I'm here for the job. And the receptionist, yeah. I said, uh, I guess then, I'm like, uh, well, you know, well, oh, did you read well, our ad? And you're like, no, I didn't know there was an ad. I just kind of showed up and hoped you had a position. And then how soon after that were you working? Yeah, so this is another crazy thing, man. I was driving down. The, I was driving down the road. I was in a suit, and I I actually saw this building that I knew was a Covey building. Um, it didn't have like big signs. This is early in Covey's years when when they had offices scattered around the city, and uh, so I I had this feeling to pull over and walk in there. So I walked in there. There was a lady standing there. Her name was Susan Tipton, and she said, "Hi, can I help you?" And I said, "Hello, I'm here to interview." Um, for a job. And she said, okay, did you bring your resume? And I said, no, I don't happen to have a resume. I didn't even know you were looking. She said, I just had my last interview. Come on in. And so I went in and, uh, and that's, and she hired me. That was awesome. That's so crazy. Yeah. Tell us what, for, for those of you who haven't read any Steve Covey books or listened to the audios, mm -hmm. um, you know, what's his background? What's he, teach and then also end so we can start our questions what is a performance expert and you, you can decide whether you want to start with that and then go into that or you know freely answer that question yeah stephen covey was an organizational behavior phd who taught organizational behavior at um, brigham young university in provo utah and uh he had written books already in his even in his early days he had a knack for leadership he he understood it he ended up getting a phd ended up being a professor um interesting story you know he wrote the seven habits of highly effective people and uh, he was rejected by a lot of publishers nobody was going to publish the book he literally threw it in the trash and he said i'll never touch it again and there was a guy there by the name of bill uh, his last name's escaping me um and bill put pulled the book out of the trash and he gave the book to Sandra Merrill, who Covey knew, uh, who ghost wrote and rewrote the book and Bill sent it to publishers without Stephen knowing it. And Simon and Schuster picked it up. Wow. <laughs> Pretty wild story. Yeah. Yeah. Wild story. So it's kind of a good lesson in like never give up and things like that. Right. But, but, but so as, so he, he did his doctoral dissertation by studying 200 years of success literature. And then he wrote the seven habits by saying, um, these are the seven key principles that I found from all the literature that was out there from the success history, you know? Um, I've got that dissertation, by the way. I, I stole it out of his office and <laughs> <laughs> grabbed a copy. But anyway, um, and that's how he got into that. And, uh, and, and that's how he did that. So he, he was teaching the seven habits in, in, um, in classes as a professor for years before he wrote the book. But a performance expert is someone who knows how to get performance out of people. You know, everyone has talent. 
Uh, the problem is that everybody gets in their own way and they restrict themselves with natural biases or all kinds of other things that we go through in life that get in the way of our being able to perform at our greatest ability. And then from the standpoint of, uh, of a leader being a performance expert, there's a great understanding of human performance and what causes people to perform at a high level and what keeps people from performing at a high level. And as you know, we get in our own way and we don't always know how to get out of our own way. And then as, as bosses, we inadvertently, even when we're trying to be great leaders, we inadvertently get in the way of, uh, of our team members' performance capacity and block it. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I think, like, like I said, you know, I studied sports psychology. So how I got into this whole thing. Uh, so my dad gave me the book, right? Well, there was another experience that we had that together where that I was talking about how I was in this transition and I was back in Raleigh at, at my parents' home and uh, for between school and what have you. And so um, my dad came up to me one day and he goes, hey, you know, they're playing the Masters golf tournament down in Augusta. Do you want to go? And I was like, heck yeah, let's go, man. So we jumped in the car and we drove four hours to Augusta, Georgia from Raleigh. And, and we got a shoddy hotel because you can't find anything else. It's totally packed and, you know, houses are rented and nobody can find a, a hotel. But uh, it was a practice round is all it was. We didn't even get into the tournament. The tournaments were pre-sold out. Well, anyway, we, we went in there and we... Uh, I watched the Masters. We walked around all day. It was a phenomenal experience. That place is amazing. Well, on the way home, on the drive home, my dad started asking me all these questions. He's a, he's a, he's a pretty successful person in his own right, and I'm grateful to have really good parents who are right. pretty sharp people and very grateful for that blessing. And uh, anyway, long story short, um, he started asking me all these questions about what I wanted to do with myself. And, and I'm grateful because I really didn't know. You know, I was struggling with that. And ultimately, he said to me, why don't you become a sports psychologist? And I was like, well, what's a sports psychologist? And then I started studying what is sports psychology and, and all this kind of thing. And, and that is how I ended up, um, be, you know, learning about per people and performance. It, it came really from sports psych because you can have all the organizational behavior. It's like Stephen Covey himself even said, organizations aren't about organizations. They're about people. Right. Organizational, you know, performance is people. Right. So. Yeah, that's how I got into all that. Love it. Love the stuff. Wow. Well, that's awesome. So we know how you got your start. Yeah. Tell me why a firm or business would hire you. Why would they hire a performance expert? How, how can you help? And you kind of touched on that a little bit, but specifically, how, how would you help an organization like mine or a law firm? Hmm. So what I found is that, so how I would help is through having conversations, um, just like any boss would do with an employee. There's a new book out. I haven't read it yet, but I love the title. It's called Leadership is Language. And I've been saying that for a while because that's what it comes down to. It ultimately comes down to how do you communicate the vision? How do you communicate it in a group? How do you communicate it one-on-one? -on -one? And how do you do that in a way where you don't get in the way, but you actually access performance, like I said earlier. So how I would help would be a couple of ways. I have I have executive clients that I coach one-on-one -on -one, and we talk a couple of times a month on the phone, depending on what they want to do. And, um, and, and, and I, we get into all kinds of stuff, their goals, their business, what they're doing, how things are going now. And ultimately it comes down to, you know, closing the gap between what you want and where you are now. And that's where we get in our own way. It's not always easy for us to close the gap for ourselves. So through conversation, 
um, we we employ you know conversation and we employ principles you know so how do we yeah I, I want to do this okay great what team what in your organization what team in your law firm would help you achieve that is this a medical records mm -hmm. team is it a summary team is it the lawyers you know and the demand process where where is it in your firm that where's the block you know where's the bottleneck what's getting in the way so and then we kind of we kind of attack that and um, em employ the principles and uh, things happen. So when you're Did talking to your firm, um, is it always a different goal that they want to reach in a different type of team? Or have you seen that there's a common denominator for it all? So there's both, actually. There's usually uh, all kinds of different things we want to attack. Is it converting more of the leads that we're getting in the intake team? Is it um, getting our medical records in a personal injury firm completed faster, more accurately? Is it um, increasing our customer service scores if we're if we have an index and we're measuring it, which we should be, should be? Is it minimizing uh, loss in some way? Is it you know so so it can be either let's grow X or let's minimize Y. So so and it can be all over the map in all the different uh, departments. And you know, is it case record? What what is it? So. Um, and then the other part is that, that it can be, it can be one thing uh, that everybody focuses on that makes a difference and makes the greatest impact. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what provoked you to write the ultimate small business guide to hiring superstars? So when I what, left, there had to be a need, right? Obviously you, you saw a gap yeah. was missing. Yeah. Well, what happened is, um, I sort of tripped into the hiring thing. I was really into the sports psych piece. And then that led me from Covey Leadership Center to another company that was like five miles away that I learned was teaching sports psychology principles to business leaders and managers. And they were teaching business leaders and managers how to coach other people to higher performance using sports psychology principles. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable, right? Right down the road. It's kind of like what I always wanted to do. So I went ahead and went over there. And when I went there, they had me complete this really bizarre exercise, which you, Alex, have completed, right? I love it. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, they had me. And it helped this me tremendously. Uh -huh. Go ahead. What? And it helped me tremendously. So go on. Sorry. Okay. Good, good. I never got paid by you for that. Even that's going to be taking hers finally. Good, good. So, but I took this weird exercise and then I went into my second interview and the CEO, he knew me like the back of his hand and it blew me away. And he was asking me questions that were so in my world that, um, you know, you, you feel like you, I hate to give you this reference, but I'll never forget when I was a little kid watching the Three Stooges and there was this one scene where one of the guys put a nail in the shoe of the other guy and he was trying to run away, but he, he couldn't go and he had nowhere to go. He couldn't hide. He couldn't run because there was this nail in his shoe. You know, anyway, that's how I felt in this job interview. You know, this guy had questions for me that were revealing. Like I was like, yeah, that's true of me. Uh, I'm wondering, are you still going to hire me? You know, kind of thing. So I, I got that job and three months later, the guy who invented that exercise, came out to Utah and uh, he, he trained our company in how to read the science. And then, um, and then uh, I'll just briefly, about a year later, I had been dating this girl. Um, I almost hate to admit this. I think I've told the story before. But about a year later, I actually uh, 
called Wayne, the guru you mentioned earlier, Wayne Carpenter. And I said, hey, there's this girl I'm dating. He goes, I'll do it. Like he knew immediately what I was after, you know? So, <laughs> so uh, I, she took the profile and back then it was on paper. So you had to fax it. So I literally walked over, faxed it to him. Before I got back to my office, um, the phone was ringing on my desk. So I picked up the phone and it was him. And I answered the phone and he said, okay, here's what you're experiencing. And he told me what he like revealed. He, I already knew what I was experiencing, but the fact that he knew what I was experiencing, like he was me, it just absolutely, it blew my mind. And then, uh, and then he said, and here's what she's experiencing. You know, here's how this is going for her. And then he said all this stuff. Well, anyway, man, I hung up from that call and I was like, I am going to own this thing. Because remember, I was like, before, when my dad was like, hey, why don't you try sports psychology? And then I started studying it. And then I ended up at Covey and we were doing the seven habits of highly effective athletes and whatnot. You know, I was so into how do people learn and how do they translate that learning into performance? How do champions like become super great? You know, and I was really into that stuff. So when I when I saw what this guy knew about me and about that girl, it absolutely floored me. And I and I and, you know, in life, if you can make a decision that is emotionally charged, like a real, sincere, authentic, emotional decision, your subconscious mind, which is a genius, everyone on the call, every person anywhere, some might argue, but they have a genius within them. <laughs> and um, and your sub, when you're subconscious, the emotion is the gateway from the conscious mind to the subconscious mind. So I like made this decision, I am going to own this profile. And I don't know, I just said that out loud. And I didn't even touch it for 10 years. But 10 years later, I, I started, I, I learned from Wayne that he had these interview guides. The profile was translated into these interview guides on leadership management, customer service, sales, et cetera. Um, and when I found out, oh my gosh, as accurate as this is, and as detailed as it is, um, and it's a risk analysis, which you need for hiring. It's great to have other tools like this, Colby, Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder Index, Hogan, whatever. I mean, I like all of them. If they're, if they're validated to measure what they say they measure, great. But can you really use it for hiring? Well, long story short, to answer your question, um, I got into hiring. I sort of became an accidental consultant around hiring because I could advise owners, should you hire this person? Should you not? If you should, why? If you should not, why? If you do hire them, what do you do with them? And then two or three years later, I had learned so much about hiring that I put a system together and then decided to write the book. So that's how all that that's how all that came about. Yeah. And I love that part of it. And I know you've, you know, evolved into different products and, and services, you know, one of them being, you know, the the lawyer and, and high-end business coaching program. But can we dive a little deeper in, into this one? Like, you know, what what do you see? Like if you were to take on um, high level, you would take on a, a lawyer and his firm and do coaching. But if you were to break it down and fall into those groups and, and doing these tests, you know, what would that look like for a firm? Because I know that's huge, right? I think that's something we're, we're finally considering now that we've had a little turnover and we're trying to build special teams that we want to do for ourselves, right? Like we have a special project coming along, you know, about our software system. So I want to make the right decision on building those special teams for those projects. Um, so it's something that's going to be talking to you about, but like, you know, someone like Sandy, who's on, I know she's, she's got a nice firm out of Vegas. Um, she'd probably have some interest in learning, like, you know, building those rock stars. And, and she's one of those people that has, um, I hope it's okay to say it, Sandy, you're on there. 
um, you know, in trying to investigate and going to a four, four, uh, four day work week, you know, trying to build their teams. And, and she's really involved in, in building those teams. Our partner, Jason Hennessy, I know is big on culture and, and, and hiring the right teams. So, um, you know, what, what does that look like? What does that structure look like? What, what would the process look like and, and what you've seen as far as the benefit? Well, so basically I get on the phone with the owner and they tell me what it is they're looking for and trying to achieve and what they want. And um, because the reports are broken down by competency into either a leader, manager, sales, what's, what have you, right? Um, I give logins and passwords to the firm owner or hiring manager who will then take this login and email it to a job candidate and say, you know, as part of our process, everyone completes this 15 minute exercise. So they go online, they take it, it takes again, 15 minutes. And then within two or three minutes, the firm receives a report on that job candidate. And the report lays out strengths and development areas, but the key part to begin with are the development areas. Again, everyone has talent, but the challenges they get in their own way by having blocks in their natural way they see things. And that's all of us, right? right. But when we're hiring, we want to know more than, hey, they're a high D and a high I, and they're a low S and a low C. I'm talking about the disc profile. It's good to know that stuff. Great to know it. You know but we need to know more. We want to know right. what's their emotional control? What's their problem-solving ability? How good is their judgment? Where are the biases focused? What will they see and what will they naturally miss? And so many other things that when we know those things, now we can really make a powerful decision about who we're bringing in. Because unfortunately, it turns out, and I've been doing this about 20 some years, it turns out that it's easier to identify who will not work out than it is to identify who will work out. Right. But that's the key. Yeah. And that, but that's the key thing we want to know at the beginning of this process. You know, we, if, if they're not going to work out and we sort of eliminate that part of the process, then we're batting, you know, way better percentages on who will work out. So if I say I would hire this person, the judgment's great. They focus on the right stuff. They've got the ability. Does that mean they're going to be a performance expert? I mean, a performance, you know, genius and, and that they'll fit perfectly in every way. You know, of course not. There's no way people are too complex. So, um, one key element, so, okay, I, I don't want to go too far down the road. I think you asked me, like, what's the process, right? So I, I give the extra, the login, the owner gives it to a candidate, they take it, you get a report, and it really tells you straight up what your risk is in hiring this person. At and, what um, age is the employer giving it to the candidate? Like, maybe after interview one or two or something like that, like, they got to become someone, you know, you sort through the people you want to hire and then you get them in and they're like, all right, I'm interested in these two or three people. Will you take this test? Right. So I kind of, at what process? Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 I advise my clients to have multiple interviews and you know, we're all short on time. Nobody loves hiring. Not too many people love interviewing. It's really difficult to know who the person really is. They can say whatever they want. Right. You know? Um, and so my recommendation is that we, that we do a phone interview, 10 minutes, you check the resumes, get all that straight, do a 10 minute phone interview, do a live interview, you know, you're whittling down the stack of resumes, right, and do a live interview. You make that short, 
You know, some people do four hour interviews. I don't agree with that. I mean, maybe later, maybe down the road a little further, fine. Uh, but in, in Japan, when they're hiring a CEO in a major corporation, or I mean, when they're hiring someone at a high level in a major corporation, the CEO goes into their home and has dinner with wow. them in their home. So, um, but point is, you know, you do a couple interviews and if you whittle it down at that point, you can decide and you might have other parts of your process and you should like grammar tests, spelling tests, maybe IQ tests, background checks. And people are more used today to being tested than they've ever been before. They're used to it. Um, so don't be shy and bashful about that. Your goal when you're hiring is to learn everything you possibly can about the person. You're, you're gathering data and you're putting it all in a bucket. You know, that's what you're going to do. Uh, so you do everything you possibly can, but you have a couple interviews. And then if you whittle it the process down enough, you can decide, okay, I want to know, I, like what I say to my clients, and it depends on their cost benefit ratio and, and how much money they like if I'm saying I'm a thousand dollars an hour, I don't want to spend an hour. Um, if I'm making a thousand an hour, I don't want to spend an hour interviewing people. Right. You know? So what can I do to offset that? So I might spend nine hundred dollars to get so many profiles to test so many people. But anyway, at that point, you whittle it down, you prioritize, and you make a decision about who you think you'd like to hire. And at that point, you know, in my with what I do, you're going to want to run this exercise and and find out all the great stuff about them, but especially the problems that, that they might bring into your practice and probably will bring into your practice. Awesome. awesome. That, that kind of leads me to my new question. Um, what significant changes, if any, do you see in hiring now post or during COVID? Well, it's weirder right now. Um, I mean, it's weird. So when COVID first hit, um, everybody stopped hiring, of course. And then um, everybody started hiring again and they just cranked right back up into it. And then, uh, um, so the, the, a lot of people were able to get, they had better pickings, you know, because a lot of people had been let go and furloughed and what have you. So they had greater ability to choose people. Right now, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of people available um, but the remote nature of work today has changed everything a lot. And in right. fact, made what I do a lot more important, actually, because, for instance, this one client of mine just hired somebody. And this person is extraordinarily talented graphic design and uh, Internet digital marketing guru for their their business. Big business. Most people would know of. And um, the hiring manager, I, I said, yeah, I'd hire this person. Be aware of X, Y, and Z. Well, she called me and said, man, I'm really struggling. This guy, you know, he's not, he's phenomenal at his work, but he's too distracted, which I had told her he would be. Then I find out, you know, I asked her and yes, he was working remote. The guy's got four kids at home, young kids. So he's working at home. He's got four young kids there. He's already the guy, the kind of guy who gets distracted easily anyway. And he's the kind of guy who'd rather be with his family than working. So just, you know, knowing these things is really a critical element of it. And then when it comes to Zoom and interviewing and things like that, I think that's even better, not better than being in person, but it's great to be able to have those first couple right. interviews, maybe by Zoom, because today in person, everybody feels like they have to wear a mask. You can only see half the face and the face is important. I don't know. So not a lot of empirical data that I just gave you there, but um it's different. And I think a lot of my clients are finding it harder to find good people right now. And I don't, I can't put my finger on exactly why specifically. So would you say it's, 
the the system work a lot of the times, like you said earlier, for finding the people you don't want to hire, right? By avoiding you of making that big mistake um, and then trickling down to hopefully finding, you know, who personality-wise you might have not thought was the right person, but on paper actually will be the right person for you. Yes. I mean, I, I had a, a girl come up to me, a woman, I guess a young woman at a conference one time and she started crying. And I was like, and I didn't know who she was. She wasn't a client. So I was a little freaked out by that. And she said, uh, I just want to thank you because I had an extremely rough upbringing. I didn't have a high school degree. I had a really difficult time finding a job. And I went to see to this law firm. She walked into a law firm and they guess had a feeling about her. They liked her. So they ran the profile on her and I told them to hire her. And she felt like I had no opportunities. And because you, so to your point about finding people who you might not have thought would work out well, will work out well. So um, Hilton Corporation, we, we've been doing profiles for them, measuring people all over the world uh, for the last, I guess, 15 years. And um, we did empirical benchmark studies on a couple of different roles for them. So we would, we would measure like 500 people and crunch the numbers and find out exactly who we believe would work in the role and who we believe would not work in the role. And so they told us they were getting, they were blocking two and a half out of every 10 bad hires using a very popular tool that everybody knows about a personality profile. Mm -hmm. And then when we came along, they started blocking eight out of every 10 and then identifying eight and nine out of 10, and they measured this. The VP of HR Worldwide at Hilton measured this. And they were hiring in Tokyo, New York, Vegas, Hawaii, another place. Um, my point in bringing that up is the one thing they said is we are hiring people we never would have hired before. And we're not hiring people that we would have hired before. And their, their turnover dropped like 130% in wow. a year. It took a while because they said, we found out our managers weren't going by the results. Well, once we got them on board, you know, it just totally changed. And I had a law, a law firm say to me about two years ago, they said, Jay, you know, we don't hit it perfectly right every single time with what you do, but our culture is better than it's ever been before. So the point is, you know, even if the profile's accurate, which... I'm not argumentative about these things and I'm not dogmatic about my stuff, right? I'm not married to it so much, but it's eerily accurate. It's pretty scary. But even if it is accurate, what I don't know is who's going to be leading that person. I don't always know that. You know, I don't always know the culture. I don't always know every detail about the role. So there's things we're going to miss. So without empirical benchmark data, you know, I, I can be accurate about 70% of the time. And I'm not afraid to say that because most people, you know, you can flip a quarter and heads or tails, and you're right, you know, maybe 50% of the time. <laughs> but, but most people, you know, nobody can know what to do. They don't know what else to do. And right. what, I have as an, what I have as an objective mathematical measure of everything that happens before a decision has been made. And that's really key because all the other tools out there, which I like them all, as I said, they measure subjectively after a decision has been made. And there's big, huge differences in those couple of elements. But yeah, and that's, uh, and you know, when I did my profile, and you know, this was me just wanting to learn about myself and how I was doing, because there was a lot of things that I was doing um, that cost me money instead of 
hiring an assistant or someone that would help, right? It was like, I was so bent on, I have to learn everything. I have to, I want to figure it out. I want to save the money on doing it, but then realize that not only would I have this whole list of ideas of things to do, but I would never execute them because they weren't my personality, right? So your suggestion was, look, hey, you're probably gonna have to hire an assistant or get somebody. And finally my life changed, right? The business started growing. Like I, I was able to put the things that I didn't know how to do, I knew about, but I didn't have to learn them and and move aside. So you kind of gave That's me two awesome. examples, one in error. Yeah, and, and thanks to you, right? And yeah. you know, I can't wait to to jump on the, the new project. But like give us an example of maybe like a law firm or something that's used. And you kind of did, right? Like uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, you're probably about 70%, you know, it's not always accurate, but when it is, it's on. You know, what what's what's some of the success with that? And and then also touch on why hiring the right team. Um helps you know gauge and you know success and failures of the firm and you know some feedback that you've kind of so why is hiring the right team so um under under and overlooked when firms and companies gauge their success and failures so because we don't know what to do really when we're hiring uh-huh what's that yeah understated yeah because we really sort of don't know most people don't know how to interview and they can't read minds. So, and, and, and in golf, this is going to sound weird. I'll swing in a golf club in a minute, but in golf, you know, if you're in a golf tournament, the person who wins the tournament is the one who swings the golf club the fastest and the most accurately, the most often they're the one that wins in business. It's decisions. We make the fastest, most accurate decisions. We win. That's how that works. Right. Every employee, it's their decision capacity or judgment to perform and make great decisions and get things done. Um, so while if the profile's accurate, I don't know other things, that's why it's a 75%. I think the profile is always accurate, by the way, pretty much, unless you call me and I look at the details. Um, but because people aren't great at hiring and they don't know how to read minds, for instance, you know, you can't really know. So people are just doing their best. And they're using their gut instincts. You know, you got a process like do a couple of interviews, ask these kinds of questions, do behavioral interview questions, which I agree with, you know, but everybody thinks that behavior, past behavior equals future behavior. And it right. does, but you don't know why that behavior was the way it was when you're doing the interview behavior thing. So, um, but, and, and then little tip on the intuition gut instincts part. If your gut says do hire that person, don't listen to that. And that doesn't mean don't hire them. I just mean by that, keep looking at them. Try to be objective if you can. If your gut tells you don't hire that person, you should listen to that. Okay. It's my yeah, experience. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, because your gut's going to be like, if your gut's telling you something's wrong, you should listen to that. Yeah. By my experience, most of my clients say, I knew it. You know, I spent the money to buy the profile and get on the phone with you, but I knew that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I might be missing another part of your question. Like, they overlook it. It's expensive to hire the wrong people. It's insanely expensive to bring people on, train them, and lose them, and bring them on, train them, lose them, bring them on, train them. And they affect the culture. They affect other people. So I like three Ps. I call it three Ps. Protect the business. That's your first step when you're hiring. Think of it as protection. You, you market 
your you market working for your business mm-hmm. like you do like you sell anything else like you're trying to get people in the door but once they do come in the door now your wall goes up and you become very protective of your business and people have to absolutely prove to you that they are stellar and you can't be weak about it because it costs too much and it's too much of a heartache and pain to hire the wrong people right especially the smaller the business is the more impact it has you know, their mistakes don't get hidden. Oh, yeah. Well. yeah. For sure. So, yeah. And I think Gina had yeah. posted some of like anywhere from 15 to 56 grand to yeah. make a bad hire. Yeah. And if it's a sales role, it's like 150 grand. Wow. Because you got to think about the, the loss of what could have been. Right. You got somebody in there that can sell compared to someone who can't. And the loss. Right. Yeah. So anyway, um, but but it's it can be very, very expensive. So. But it's but people don't know. So so quick experience. I was given a presentation one time and I used to ask this question all the time. How many of you are PhDs in behavioral psychology? My point being, you're able to read people better than others. Right. And nobody would ever raise their hand, of course. I'm just making right. a point. You're not a PhD in, in this stuff. You know, how do you know who to hire? Well, one time this lady raised her hand <laughs> and I said, you're a PhD in behavioral psych? And she goes, yeah. And it turns out, that, <laughs> it turns out, you know, backfire on my little point there. But anyway, it turns out that she had been asking the most questions about how to interview and how to hire, which makes sense because she was so into that kind of thing, right, as a behavioral psychologist. But, but she didn't even know how to hire people better, any better than anybody else. And is, is the point, right? And in fact, I can't even read people without the profile. And I don't even try. I don't even try. Like, I don't go to parties and walk around and be like, this person, <laughs> person, you know, because, you know, I want to have fun at the party. But anyway, uh, instead of crash the party, there's that guy who reads minds. I don't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but are there, so out of curiosity, are there like three or five questions you could be asking someone to kind of get a, uh, a quick personality profile? Just like, totally hey, do I want to have a root beer with this guy or not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally, totally seriously. No, I, I don't know. There probably are people who are good at that and they have learned some stuff and they do these cold readings, they call them, and they can they can sort of bucket people into different personality types right. and what have you. I, 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 I cannot do that. I don't know how to do that. But if somebody takes my profile, I'll know more about them than their mother does. And I can predict performance. Predict it accurately it's pretty crazy very cool well i have a few more questions but i want to open it up because we have 15 minutes left i want to open it up to the audience to see if they have any questions so they can start uh just putting them in the chat and uh i'll proceed with mine so any questions that you guys have for jay or myself go ahead and drop them in there while i uh ask a couple more questions so here here's a good one um what if a firm or business, and you might have touched on this, but more specifically, what if a firm or business has talented employees, but the owner boss doesn't know how to motivate them and maximize your potential and productivity? Yeah, or worse, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It sounds judgmental. Or they don't want to coach people, which is perfectly fine. Right. Some, some, some owners are like, I don't even want to deal with these people. Right. You know, like, let's hire good people and I don't have to deal with it. Right. Um, if they don't know how to do it, get somebody who does. If they don't want to do it, get somebody who can or will or wants to. That's one thing you can do. You can take coaching courses, you know, 
I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people have the attitude like they're either going to perform or they're not. And I'll just go through the cost of dealing with it and call that normal part of business. This is one of the problems. You own a law firm and you're successful and you're making a lot of money or at minimum doing well and you're, and you're feeding your family, you know, and why take the extra step to do better? Some people are just way too tired. They're like, man, I've been working. I don't, right. you know, so they're not maximizing. So like I, and that's okay. That's their choice. But I, I routinely easily find about 30% of, well, let me put it this way. I'll go into a practice and we'll implement some strategies to drive greater performance. And I've seen, and you asked about a case study earlier, but I saw one client, literally, they went in one team, they were doing medical records, productivity, and they tracked it, not me, productivity increased 17% from January, actually from February to March, over previous numbers. So they had a 17% increase in performance. Wow. The next month, it, the next month, it was 171% increase in productivity over January. The next month was 315% increase. So here's my point. The point is that there is so much waste going on in our firms that it's astounding, like crazy. And it's, does, it's not hard to make the tweaks at all. It's actually quite simple to make the tweaks that make the changes that bring the greatest benefit. They had a 47%, 47.7% increase in uh, disbursements in seven months. So the cash flow just took off like a rocket ship and they were making a lot more money because they were creating a lot more speed with the cases. Wow. So did they, once they did the, the, the test and the teams went through it, did they restructure and this is how they got more productivity out of it? Good question. It, it, it wasn't even the profiles. You know, they, they already had the team in place. They had already hired these people sometime earlier. What, it, it, what we did is, see, the, the big problem, everybody has more potential than they're currently utilizing. Mm -hmm. And their potential is blocked by interference, which is one word that, that talks about everything that gets in the way, anything that can get in the way. We all deal with it. This is one of the biggest things that affects our performance is that we're distracted and we're unfocused because there's too, many, too much interference going on. So if you can reduce interference, you can increase focus. And if you can increase focus, just everything changes like boom, like overnight, you know. Um, so what we do is we do, we set a very, we, we look at the team and the organization and what they're trying to achieve as a, as a team. And then we pick one goal that is an impact goal. Nice. That it is the most important thing that we're trying to achieve. or, the, or I'm sorry, that's wrong language. It's not the most important thing. It's the thing that will have the greatest impact on the firm. And then we, we, there's a way to launch that goal with the team a certain way. You launch it with the team. So you create one clear goal, which everybody knows about that. Yeah, one goal. I mean, you know, research, there's statistics on this. If you have one goal, your chances of hitting it go are very, very high. If you have 10 goals, you know, good luck hitting any of them. So, but most people you ask, how many priorities do you have? They're like, yeah, 10, eight, five, we're working on all these different projects. Well, anyway, so the second thing you do is after the one clear goal is you do clear steps because you got to get the team members super clear and committed by choice. Everybody wants accountability. Where do you get accountability from? Ownership. Where do you get ownership from? Choice. How do you get them to choose? 
So there's a process and a skill set around coaching and launching high level goals with certain teams. Then the next thing is feedback loops. Okay. So a quick example, or I don't know if there's questions, but quick example is if you're on a golf course, we'll use golf since Susan was laughing at my golf swing. Um, if we're on a golf course, you know, and I'm standing in the fairway and I look out at the green, there's a flag in the hole on the green, and that's my target. I got one target. When I hit the ball at that flag, if my ball goes dead left away from or right or nowhere near the flag, I get immediate feedback about my performance. Then I can adjust things. But if I don't have any feedback, I don't know what to adjust. And most people in organizations suffer from anonymity, meaning their work product, they don't really know deeply how it specifically connects to the success of the organization. And then they feel like they're not a part of the organization. They just feel like I'm just stamping widgets all day. Right. You see? So if you got a clear goal, clear steps, people have chosen those steps, they've committed to those steps, and then feedback the right way, you put feedback loops in process, man, it just, boom, like it's like crazy, you know? So, you know, you made 100,000 last year of profitability. Well, what if you could have made 150,000 or 175,000? Just simply by implementing and sticking to a simple process that hits the psychological triggers that make the biggest difference with people. I kind of went off a little on a tangent there, but is that? No, no, I love that. And, and it, I wish we had a, uh, every time you said something cool, it would just show up on the screen. So I like it when you started off and, and the, uh, the, the golf analogy was awesome, but um, you know, the process really looked nice. I think, I think you did a great job um, illustrating that, right? You have a goal. The only way you have a goal is if you made a choice, right? Can you repeat those points again? Because that I think that's one of the one of the greatest takeaways here. So people can envision it. Because while you were talking, I was envisioning it. Um, Dina's <laughs> DMing me and saying, "Don't worry, I'll clip it and edit it, <laughs> uh, so we can use it." But do me a favor and, and repeat that because that was so perfect. And I think everyone in the audience will will get a benefit and realize, you know, actually start visualize how they can use it, how they can use it internally. I don't remember what I said. Alex. Oh my gosh, it was so good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so you 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 set a clear goal, and then what your question was specifically about accountability. So if you want right. accountability, how do you get accountability? You get, accountability comes from ownership. You know, I mean, you can you can carrot and stick people, which means you know the carrot is you can incentivize them. Right. Yeah. You can incentivize them more money, which doesn't motivate people, by the way. A little bit maybe does. If they're drowning, more money is going to motivate them. But um, you can incentivize them or you can whip them with a stick. right? So, But the better way is you get accountability through ownership. And you get ownership from people by giving them choice. An example is if, if, uh, if I want them to achieve X, then I say, hey, listen, we're trying to achieve X. Here's why it's good for everybody, you, me, our clients, et cetera. What can you do this week to impact that goal? What are one or two things you think you could do? And let them say, because see, if I'm an owner, you know, most owners believe, including Fortune 500 companies, leadership teams at the board level and everything, they all believe that the people on the front lines know what the goals of the organization are, what the strategic initiatives are. The research shows they do not know. 
And then, and if they did know, they're not thinking about it. You know, and if you take their values and you put the values up on a wall, they think everybody's living it. No, but so the point is ownership comes from, I mean, accountability comes from ownership, which comes from choice. So you give people choice and then they choose, then they feel they're part of the decision-making process. And by the way, the main point I was going to say about the front line is that if they're, they're the ones, the people at the front line are the ones who should be choosing what the initiative of their job is because they have the most data about right. the reality of what they're doing and how it impacts people. So, uh, so anyway, did I, that's what it was. Accountability. We have it recorded. All right. Um, I think we're pressed for time. If you have questions, put them up. I'm surprised we didn't get questions. It's probably because you answered everything or I asked it. Um, let's see what two takeaways, two key takeaways they could take away about employee performance, uh, in their practice, something that'll be helpful. And then and just to reiterate on that, um, Jay's offering us three the three perfect gifts that you're going to get by email. It's the how to create the superstar profile, how to create a superstar magnet, and real talent job interview score sheet. So he's been very generous. Hopefully he knows that he did that. He's giving that to everyone who registered. Um, but, um, yeah, so two key takeaways for everybody. Yeah, so um – Okay, I was going to say something different about that, but I changed my mind here. Research shows that the number one need of employees is to be respected. And the number one development area of bosses is to show respect. So that's just something you can think about a little bit. Um, I would also say that the more you can ask questions and get people to choose their way forward, um, the more powerful they will be in your business and the, the more they're going to want to do. And I can't underestimate or understate the importance of, you know, I, I created a presentation once called the five C's of leadership. And one of the key C's is caring. And that might sound a little airy fairy. And some people are like, and eh, whatever, you know, they do it or they don't, they're out of here if they don't perform. That's, you know, but if you do show people that there's some level of caring, um, and that you're aware of them and mindful of them, you know, it, it changes people. It, 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 you know, would you rather have, you know, grudging compliance or people that are like willingly giving you their best? So it makes a difference at the, at the bottom line, big time. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Tell us a fun fact about Jay, something nobody under would know. They obviously know you're a golfer. Yeah. Fun fact, I have four daughters. I love it. No, <laughs> More fun. They're awesome. Well, every woman I ever say that to, they're like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? But anyway, no, I have four daughters. I love them. They're awesome. That's a fun fact. To me, it's a fun fact. Yeah. I, uh, oh, I love, I love, I, I, I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I'm glad you prepared me for that one because, man, I don't like that question. But I, this is me having just raced a Ferrari, and Same I got to tell you, man, oh, that is the greatest ever. What's that? Where'd you do that at? Vegas. The Vegas. Oh, okay, on that track. There's a road track in the in the uh, in the loop track there. Oh my gosh, man! It's the greatest. Fun fact: I love race cars and driving fast. Love it. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Thank you for everyone that joined. Um, look for an email to get those three perfect gifts. Um, again, if you don't know me, I'm Alex Valencia, the president and owner of We Do Web Content, we're a content marketing agency for law firm so if you're not working with us yet 
call Jay and make sure he tells you it's okay to work with us. Um, Jay, thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure. Again, you're a great friend. Thanks for offering so much information. Look forward to continue working with you. Um, if you didn't have your questions, please go ahead and send them. Thank you, Danielle, for being on, or I think you came on as Jennifer and everyone else. Peace and have an amazing day. Thank you all. Thank you, Alex. Be well, everybody. Be safe. Bye, Thank guys. you.